from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., this is Update One, the club's official podcast. It features newsworthy stories originating from the NPC facilities, as well as broader topics related to journalism, communications, press freedom, and transparency. And thanks for joining us at Update One. I'm Deborah Silameo, and today we are talking with photojournalist Sue Dorfman. Sue has traveled throughout the U.S. and five continents documenting social justice. She's been using her camera to tell the stories of people voting and those who work to advance and safeguard that right. She's clocked more than 45,000 miles looking at democracy, visiting polling sites, watching get-out-the-vote activities. Her work photographing the apartheid struggle in South Africa led to her long-standing interest in voting and democracy here at home. In the 1990s, she filmed Dying to Vote, interviewing people in the South about what the vote meant to them. And more recently, she took her RV to more than two dozen states in D.C. to document the 2020 election. Her new book and traveling photo exhibit is Documenting Democracy, and today, Sue joins us to share her insights. Hi, Sue. Thank you. Hi there. So tell us what inspired you to embark on this effort and spend so much of your time and and energy and love in voting and democracy. Well, as you mentioned, um, I first became aware of the importance of the vote when I was photographing um, in apartheid South Africa and I attended a don't vote rally, which made me really look at why the vote is important and who does and does not get the vote. And shortly after I returned in 1986, I was down in the counties in the Black Belt of Alabama, which includes Selma, um, with a group of about maybe 200 people that had come down in order to help monitor the polls. And that was 20 years after the passage of the Voting Rights Act. And what I witnessed and experienced in the South felt so similar to um, what I experienced in apartheid South Africa about the lack of respect, the denial of people's basic rights, including the right to vote. Some years later, on the 25th anniversary of 18-year-olds getting the right to vote um, and still thinking about the South, I went and did a documentary called Dying to Vote, looking at what dying to vote means, um, that word. And so went back to the South, went to Mississippi and interviewed people. What did it mean to die for the right to vote? Part of our history that we don't know about is what the civil rights struggles really involved including people dying for the right to vote and being killed. Put it aside for a while, ended up photographing various other social issues, and then was asked to help photograph what was called election protection, which is a very important program about monitoring people's um, rights when they go to the polls. And that started me back on the process of really looking at what voting rights mean. Uh, in the 2018, I decided to go back to Mississippi, see if it had changed from 1996. And that really is what launched me back into looking at what does voting mean? Who votes? How is the vote considered? And what do people do in order to ensure the right to vote? So it's a long story, 
but it basically is, this is one of our rights as American citizens, it's one of the rights that's enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the rights to free and fair elections. And as somebody who's committed to social justice, I wanted to see how that right was being um, used or abused in this country. Now you spent a lot of time documenting the 2020 election which is perhaps the most controversial, most dissected, highly charged presidential election in history. And I'm wondering what you took away from the experience and then also what you hope people will learn from your work. That is a huge question and I will try and break it down into a few smaller parts. I decided in 2020 to photograph an election cycle. What could possibly happen in a normal election cycle? So I decided to start out in Iowa and photograph what a caucus looked like. I had no idea what a caucus looked like, nor did I have any idea that an app that was being used to record the votes would cause controversy. Um, I went to New Hampshire to, to photograph the first in the nation um, vote uh, primary and I had no idea at that time that both Iowa and New Hampshire might lose their rights to be the first in the nation places in order to go vote. I photographed in a variety of states including Super Tuesday and who knew that shortly after that that there would be a pandemic that would totally disrupt the primary system. Who knew that we would have a situation where there would be dramatic changes of how to vote in the election. Who knew that we would have a change in our postal system that would make it difficult um, or, or questionable to put ballots into the postal system? Who knew that drop boxes would be introduced in many, many states? Who knew that there was going to be a runoff election that was going to totally change the nature of um, who was going to be in you know, the majority in the U.S. Senate. There were so many unknowns. I think that the thing to take away from it is that democracy works. The voting process works. The people that run elections have enormous integrity. The checks and balances on the system is enormous. But I want to get back to the people who run the elections. The level of integrity that everybody has to make sure that each and every person has the right to vote. What I saw across the country was that level of dedication. What I heard from poll workers was the importance of same day voter registration because there are states such as New Jersey that you have to register to vote 21 days in advance of the election. And if you miss that registration deadline, you can't vote. Whereas if people are able to register the same day, they can vote and participation in our country's elections is probably most important. And the saddest thing that I experienced is, is the vast number of people who deliberately choose not to vote, whether because they don't believe that the system works, um, they don't believe that it's gonna make a difference or they just don't care enough to vote. And that to me is probably the saddest thing. And getting back to South Africa, I was inspired by people standing in line for three days when they first got the right to vote to just wait to vote. The long lines that we saw in this country in 2020 was that dedication of people having that right to vote and they chose to use it despite the pandemic, despite everything. 
I want to add to your kudos to the people who work at the polls, having been a precinct chairman. That's a tough job. You start really early in the morning and it t- can take way into the night and they're all volunteers and, um, you know, grateful for them. I want to ask you, though, like since the 2020 election, there have been a number of states, a number of actions taken to limit people's ability to vote. What do you see as your work? What role will it play? What role would you like it to play in helping to safeguard the protections, the advances that you just talked about? There's a couple of things. I've been looking at elections for many years. And if I go back and I look at uh, papers that I have from 2012, from 2016, 2018, there has always been bills being introduced that are going to suppress the right to vote. There also are even more bills that are working to expand the right to vote. They don't get as much attention. And I think that it is critically important to both talk about those particular laws and bills that limit people's rights to vote versus the ones that also are expanding it. For example, Georgia uh, for the runoff in 2020 had a um, expanded um, early vote period that lasted from over the Christmas holidays, over New Year's, over Thanksgiving, into January, which meant the poll workers and the election officials were working for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. They shortened the early vote period for a runoff election back to a already existing date, and it's been called this horrific thing that they shortened the early vote period. Now, what it did mean is that, yes, it was shortened by some weeks, but it also meant the poll workers did not work over X number of weeks. And that same bill also mandated that every county in Georgia have Saturday voting. It mandated that every county in Georgia have at least one ballot drop boxes. While it did limit the number of ballot drop boxes, particularly in heavily urban areas, it also advanced to right in other counties. And it's really important to look at where things have gone, uh, what I'm gonna say has gone south and where things have really expanded and to really keep that in perspective when talking about not just voter suppression, but really some of the winning advances that have taken place in the right to vote. I have to ask you um, with journalism, journalist under fire these days, did you ever feel threatened in all the time you spent at the polls? The only time that I would say I felt threatened at the polls was when poll workers who were ill-informed did not know what the rules were regarding journalists being allowed to photograph at polling sites. In terms of my physical safety with other people, no, in terms of poll workers who did not know the rules and were trying to intimidate me from voting, I mean, excuse me, intimidate me from photographing, that was kind of a hassle. And one quick story I will tell, Virginia is the only state or commonwealth in the nation that actually I have seen post the rules regarding media at a polling place, which very clearly state what a journalist and a photographer is allowed to do in the polling place. And I had the head of the elections in one polling place tell me I wasn't allowed to vote there. And I had to walk her out to the sign and point out to her, yes, I can. So that would be, I'd say, the most intimidation that I had. I have to say one of the things I found 
extremely touching were the pictures of parents taking their children with them into the polling place. Um, obviously too young to vote, but perhaps old enough to appreciate the, the act of voting. I guess that's what the parents were trying to teach them. It's a very rich collection that you have. And I want to ask if there's anything else you want to add, and then please tell our listeners where they can see your work. Thank you. I just want to say that one of the things that did inspire me to, you know, pay attention to voting is that I, as a child, used to go with my parents into go voting back in the day when there was the magic curtain that would close and the magic curtain that would open. And it was magic as a child to see the levers go up and down. And I'm hoping that kids today have that same level of inspiration to go out and vote. I think, again, it's critical to increase civic education on the importance of the vote. Where you can see my photos, um, you mentioned a book. The book is a work in progress. It will be called Documenting Democracy. Hopefully it'll be out at some point soon. In the meantime, if people want to see some of my photos from 2020, they can visit my website, which is called Documenting Democracy. And the URL for that one is docdem, D-O-C-D-E-M, dot Sue Dorfman, which is one word, dot com. So docdem, dot Sue Dorfman, dot com. So that's where you can see my documenting democracy photos. By the way, I do shoot for Zoomer Press. So if you look up Zoomer Press Sue Dorfman, you could also see some of my images by Googling them. Perfect, perfect. And if you haven't seen them, I urge you to take a look. It's important work and meaningful and moving work. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sue. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And if you want to find out more about the National Press Club, you can visit press.org. Thank you all. This has been Update One. You have been listening to Update One, the official podcast of the National Press Club, the world's leading professional organization for journalists and a vigorous advocate of press freedom worldwide. If you have any questions or comments about Update One, send an email to updateonepodcast at gmail.com.